Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Good afternoon, and welcome to this sixth and final episode in our six-part series on active shooter events and response evolution, sponsored by FirstNet, powered by AT&T. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. That's why FirstNet is here for you. It's the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. With a dedicated platform, prioritized connection, and no throttling, you can communicate when it's most critical. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. My co-host today, just like last episode, is our news editor, Joe Vince. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. It's my pleasure. We're going to talk today about basic equipment for response. And, and going into this, I couldn't help thinking about our last episode. And we talked about legally armed, non-uniform people, whether that's off-duty officers or the legally armed citizen um, in or near active shooter scenes. And, and how we kind of watch their behaviors. That was our last episode, excuse me, episode number five. So and that was on my mind. And I'm thinking, you know, when you're an off-duty officer and, and something goes sideways near you, what do you really have? And um, I think about myself, right? I retired last year. I'm finally don't have arrest powers anymore, but I still don't leave the house uh, without a sidearm and a spare magazine, usually two. Um, I don't carry handcuffs anymore because I don't, I mean, I don't have the power to arrest anybody. So why would I, and why would any other citizen? Um, I typically have a flashlight, although that's very odd. People look at me funny, but I hate the idea of being in a mall or a movie theater or someplace, a department store and the power goes out and there's no emergency lighting. Mm. I want a light. Um, mm. my, my, obviously my credentials, uh, and my cell phone. And prior to recording the start, starting this uh, this podcast recording, you brought up a very good point about cell phones, uh, and I wanted you to share that if you would. Well, I I was wondering, I was thinking too before we started um, doing this, is since when we talked about one of the first um, episodes in this uh, podcast, we talked about Columbine and how that pretty much reset how law enforcement thinks about active shooters and i thought and and 1999 you, really it's you know you mark it for 20 plus years in that time you know what uh, type of advancements have there been and, and really just new not so much you know just better body armor or or, or better weapons but you know what tool has has come around and and the one thing i really thought of is the cell phone and you know going back um you know researching columbine and really going through get that again it, it you know, there were a few students who did have phones, but I compared that with some of the more recent uh, school shootings and the amount of students who were actually and teachers passing along information to dispatchers to be able to um, better empower the responding officers so that they weren't going in totally blind to what the situation was. And um, it, it, it's really even though maybe the the actual law enforcement officer might not be carrying the cell phone, the cell phone is still an incredible tool thing in the hands of the civilian. 
Um, and it, it, it just, it actually kind of, um, I kind of blew my mind for just uh, a minute there. I, I can understand why. And I mean, as far as a police officer carrying a cell phone, maybe not on duty, they might leave it in their patrol vehicle right. on duty, but off duty, I mean, who leaves their house without a cell phone anymore? And uh, honestly, I'd have to check with the communications uh, commander or dispatch center. I can't help but wonder if, I mean, we all know you, you dial 911, right? We have smart 911 and we have GPS tracking and we have all this stuff. But I, I can't help but wonder now, can the citizen on scene FaceTime or Skype or otherwise provide uh, both audio and video feed back to a dispatch center? And of course, if they can, there's a huge data demand for that. Um, but you know, we, we need to remember whether we are off duty officers or legally armed civilians, when we're in that situation, we call nine one one. First and foremost, we're communicating the information and the intelligence that they can use for the responders coming in. Right. So where are we? What's the circumstance? Um, if there's anybody injured, if we know how many shooters there are description of ourselves, if we're off duty officers, so we don't want those friendly fire situations. But if you can actually turn on, oh, and let's not forget this, stay on the phone until the dispatcher disconnects you, right? Right. Don't go hanging up on the dispatcher, the emergency call taker. I wonder if they can take the video and audio feed, because that's probably some of the best intelligence you can provide. I, I know I've, I've, I've heard of some departments now starting to try to integrate some of, there is technology there. It's not widespread, and I've never, I have yet to see it where it had been used in a situation like that. It, I, I think we're um, we might be at the early days of that, um, but I, I I bet you. I mean, I don't think it's that far away where it becomes standard if or pretty close happening. to it. I know there's a um, sorry to interrupt you. I know Los oh, Angeles no. Sheriff's Department. We had an article about this just a couple of weeks ago where they were experimenting with a FaceTime app that allowed them to deal with people on traffic stops. And obviously, this is something that grew, grew out of COVID and, and having to deal with people, but wanting to maintain that social distance of six feet or more. They had an app so the officer didn't even have to work walk up to the to the vehicle that they pulled over. Um, they, they could just interact with the driver via their, their cell phone and they're just knowing that that's going on, there's got to be a solution out there it, existent or coming soon, like you said, that allows 911 dispatchers to see and hear on scene. Uh -huh. And what a strength it would be. Now, so let's talk about that's off duty, right? So we, I mean, there we are off duty. Um, again, no handcuffs, usually no other force options than a firearm if you're legally armed. Uh, I got a knife in my pocket, but I don't think anybody wants to use a knife as a force option unless it is absolutely the last resort, because I don't want to be the guy in the newspaper that gets written up for, you know, stabbing an active shooter to death. Right. And I know my chief doesn't want that, even though I'm retired. He doesn't want that affiliated with the agency. Um, but so if you're an on duty officer. What at your bare minimums, you're jumping out of your patrol car to go in um, and. Let's just say you get out, you go as fast as you can go. You don't go to your trunk. You don't grab anything else. You just go. So you've got your sidearm, a couple of spare magazines, um, uh, an electronic, an EMD, electromuscular disruptive weapon, taser phase or whatever. Um, you have a baton, you have handcuffs, you have a flashlight or two. 
you have body armor on. And that's all that's great. I mean, we we want all that, right? <clears throat> yeah, but probably an OC spray or other chemical uh deployment weapon. Um a lot of officers today are also carrying what we call personal blowout kit, right? Or the Marine Corps calls it the ind individual first aid kit, IFAC, um, with a tourniquet, pressure bandage, uh, some kind of hemostatic agent, gloves, gauze, you know, a couple other things in there to, to treat their own wounds. Um, what's our step up from there? And I'm, I'm, I ask that rhetorically. You know, we've, we've seen, uh, Lord knows I've written tons of articles about the officer who jumps out of his car, goes to his trunk or a storage area, grabs his rifle, throws on a hard plate um, carrier and goes because he wants greater protection, right? Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you this, because you see as many active shooters as I do, if not more. How many of them lately have been with true rifles? And when I say true rifle, I don't mean a long gun in a pistol caliber. I don't mean a 9mm 40, 45 carbine. I mean... How many of them have actually been done with rifles in 223, uh, 5.56 millimeter, 308 or better? Can you, do you know offhand? Are you feeling like it's more or less? I, I don't because I'll tell you in, in the stories that I have, uh, and the coverage I have seen a lot, I, I guess I'm always kind of leery about, um, when, and I'm in the news media, but when news media talks about, uh, um, firearms and, um, it, I, you, I don't get a sense of the caliber. I don't, I get, it's really just, it's either a uh, AR-15 style rifle or, or things of that nature. Um, it, it, yeah, rarely have I heard of, of the, of, of the actual caliber in a lot of cases. Um, usually from what I've seen, however, they're, they're care, you know, a lot of times, it is it's carrying some type of 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 long gun but I, i'm not sure it you know I, I think the news media like you said we're part of it but i the, the mainstream media the legacy media if, if you will i think they like to really um sensationalize it if somebody's carrying a quote-unquote ar style rifle um but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a rifle caliber that doesn't necessarily mean it's 556 five, or 223 lord knows there's plenty of companies out here that make nine millimeter 40 caliber um, semi-automatic, uh, blowback operated, box magazine fed, all the proper descriptions used for the quote-unquote AR-style rifle. Um, but the, the reason I ask is because I ponder the question of, is a hard plate carrier more for the hard plates and the added protection from the higher caliber rounds? Is it uh, more for better protection from handgun rounds, which I'm not going to argue with, I'd, I'd rather, if I've got to get shot, I would rather get shot with a nine millimeter on a hard plate over soft armor all day, every day than just wearing soft armor because the blunt force trauma is not going to be near as painful. Um, the uh -huh. back face deformation is just simply not going to exist. But then I look at that plate carrier as a active shooter or immediate response si equipment system um, for if, if if I'm grabbing a rifle, I need a spare magazine or two for that rifle. Um, it doesn't hurt. We, we don't like to think about going into a true gunfight, but, you know, years ago in Canada, they had a school attack that was stopped. It was prevented. And thank God there were 17 people planning on attacking the, this university. You go into that. I want all the ammo I can carry. 
You know what I mean? Um, right. And, and that, you know, that that's the thing is I, I, in almost all the cases that, uh, that have been happening recently, these individuals have been, they aren't just carrying what's, you know, what they have loaded in the weapon. They're carrying pretty much at least a hundred rounds uh, a lot of times in some type of duffel bag, if along with possibly uh, other weapons. Um, yeah, there's, you're probably going to, when it comes to actual bullets, um, if you're not bringing a spare or a couple spares, you're definitely going to be outgunned that way. So let me take a break here for just a second. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that this series is, is sponsored by FirstNet, powered by AT&T. In an emergency, you need a reliable way to communicate with the extended public safety community. FirstNet is the first and only nationwide communications platform built with and for first responders. When every second counts, first responders count on FirstNet. And uh, you can visit firstnet.com to learn more. So, Joe, I think you're right. You know, I went down to Virginia Tech after Cho did his shooting there in his backpack. He had all kinds of extra magazines that were loaded. But I guess, so the perspective is this. And as a firearms instructor uh, and an active shooter response instructor, I really have to think about this. Every round I fire, I've got to be able to justify, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I, I don't want misses. I don't want to be not hitting the bad guy. Now, there are some tactics that require directed fire or quote-unquote suppressive fire, as much as lawyers hate that term, and it makes chiefs cringe, and I get it. But if I go into a school, I go into a mall, and I've got my rifle with a 30-round magazine, if I go through 30 rounds, I'd better be in the middle of a small war zone to load up that next magazine. You know what I mean? If I got one or two shooters... And I blew out 30 rounds. There better be 15 in each shooter. Um, so I say the spare magazine, and I say it for malfunctions, uh, accidental drops, stuff like that. I, but I'm a firm believer, uh, big, big believer, and the two is one, one is none. So I would say two magazines for each weapon you're carrying at a minimum, two spares. Um, then on that plate carrier, we're talking about it as an equipment platform and equipment that you want, flashlights. Again, two is one, one is none. Two-thirds of our shootings happen in low light or no light situations. Why would we not have, um, you know, the most basic tool we need to be able to see? And for everybody listening that goes, but yeah, I've got one mounted on my gun. You don't search with that. (laughs) Um, If it's shooting going on, your gun up, you want to turn on your light? Of course, that makes sense. But if you've only got your handgun, there's no shots. You're just responding. Your gun's not going to be in your hand. You shouldn't be pulling out your handgun to search by using the flashlight. That's present presenting potentially deadly force. So a flashlight on the on the vest, right? Um, a helmet would be really really good if you have one. Yeah. And think to put it on. Um, what else? What am I missing? I mean. I mean, you've talked about a lot, a lot of it, and when I was thinking about all of this, I mean, obviously, you have the gear that you already have on you. You know, when you're in your in your patrol car, already there, you're good to go. And then you've got the your go bag, the the stuff you've got to have ready. And I keep thinking is is, and I'll ask you this question: What is the ticking clock in your head? Like, how much? Like, what are you telling yourself to say? How many seconds do I have to? get out of, you know, get into my trunk, take out the stuff and go. Um, Five seconds. Okay. 
Yeah, I, so... I, honestly, we, we say as fast as we can go, right? Um, I don't know that the time going to the trunk justifies the potential use inside the scene based on historical events. But here's what I know. I know that Cho at Virginia Tech averaged one victim shot every seven seconds. So seven seconds is a long time. It's a life. Um, if I'm, if I pull up, put my vehicle in park doors, you know, I'm popping the trunk as I go, um, doors open to the trunk, grab a plate carrier, throw it on, buckle, buckle, grab the rifle, slam the trunk, go. If I can't do that in five seconds or less, I probably wasted my time going to the trunk. I probably should have had the rifle in the, the, the passenger compartment with me. Um, and certainly they make, um, accessories so I can put a spare magazine on the rifle at a bare minimum one on the stock. Um, and I mean, I know guys that they, they had a spare magazine on them. People got, oh, it's too militaristic looking. And I get that. But if you're in a high risk area, um, I'm not sure that it's inappropriate. Um, I'm thinking, you know, I guess the other side of that is I knew a guy who used to say that he carried two trauma kits. One for making trauma and one for treating trauma. And what he meant was he carried a handgun and he carried um, that blowout kit I talked about earlier. He carried uh -huh. a tourniquet and a pressure bandage and hemostatic agent. He carried gloves. Um, for a lot of folks don't know what an NPA is, a nasal pharyngeal airway. It's a pre-measured tube you put in somebody's nose to open an airway if for some reason their airway is blocked. Um, I can't intubate people. I can't put that tube down their throat. An NPA gives me an air, an open airway. Um, but that's specific to each person. So should the person have that in their kit? And here's why I'm bringing up the kit. It ought to be on that that responder. Um, if, if I'm grabbing that hard plate carrier and putting it on, I need my magazines and stuff in the front where I can reach them. But I also need, um, I need that, at, at a bare minimum, I need the tourniquet someplace I can reach it. Now, I should have one on, if I'm in uniform anyway, I should have one within reach on my person all the time. But if I'm going into an active shooter situation, I should have the one that's on me all the time. And I should have one or two more on that response kit. And here's why. Um, after we've neutralized a threat, after we've secured the area, our next mission is treating the victims and saving lives and and um you know there's an awful lot of people bleed out from extremity wounds that we can save just by the proper use of a tourniquet so we ought to have plenty um i'm, I'm a big believer every cop has one on and two on their 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 response gear for active shooter if they can does that make sense to you though i mean oh uh, yeah no absolutely um, um and, good and, and, well no i you know i I was just thinking too is, um, you know, in a lot of cases recently, we've seen um, the shooter is either um, taken his own life or um, uh, didn't, um, law enforcement didn't really encounter a lot of resistance or were able to neutralize it very quickly. Um, but then I think back to, and you might have to help me with my memory here. I, was it Tennessee earlier this year in the bank um, mass shooting where one an officer did uh, was shot and wounded um, because the the shooter had already um, 
open fire within the the building and then as the officers were coming up began firing out into the street as they were were approaching and it, it, the videos from the incident too the, from bystanders across the street you you saw the officers looking for cover and um uh behind like uh, the big these big cement planters and things like that but the body cam of it you actually see the officers get their get at the bank and one officer jumps out the patrol car goes to the to the trunk and i believe shots start firing then as as he's going for um I, whatever more equipment um he has in there you know it's always hard to see with the with the body cams you know um I, I can't remember what state it was but i will say this and this is a hard thing for any police officer to swallow but it's absolutely real if we're going to a school and we pull up and as we're bailing out of our cars somebody in the school starts shooting at us that's good and doesn't that seem insane to say but here's the reality I know what you mean. they're shooting at us they're not shooting students yeah. Okay. If they're shooting at me, they're not shooting students and I can shoot them back. The students can't. So, you know, it's one of those things I learned 20 some odd years ago, my first active shooter instructor event. And the, and the, and the, the instructor was, a, was blatant. And he was like, look, if you get shot, number one, none of us are stopping to help you. You're on your own. So hope you got a tourniquet. Hope you got a pressure bandage. Hope you can manage the pain. You're on your own. You're going to have to treat yourself and you're going to have to get yourself out because none of us are doing that for you until the shooter's been neutralized. And then he he blew everybody in the class's mind. He's like, and if everybody that goes in there in the uniform gets shot, that's not necessarily bad because that means those bullets didn't go into children. And that's our purpose to protect the children. That's our oath. That's our goal. That's our job. I was like, Wow. That, yeah, that, that definitely puts it in, into a different perspective yeah. um, about what you're doing and and um, about the idea of preserving life as opposed. I mean, obviously, you're you're you want to neutralize the individual, but it, it's in the service of preserving life. Yes. And you know what? As we this is perfect timing, perfect timing. <laughs> it's all about preserving life. It's all about saving lives. It's all about minimizing the injuries and and the deaths due to these people who to perform these events. Um, and we at Officer Media Group, thanks to our sponsorship through FirstNet, uh, have brought you this six-part series, hoping that the information in it helps you form your policies, form your training, uh, expand your, your knowledge base so that you can save lives. So if you're behind, working behind a badge, you can do it that much better uh, and save those people that we've all sworn to protect uh, and take care of yourself very much. Now, I'm not going to say it as the priority, as that secondary thing. Let's let's not unnecessarily get ourselves taken out along the way, but uh, let's not hesitate in doing our duty and protecting those lives that we are sworn to serve, especially the children. Man, it's just, you know, in a mall, okay, so be it. In a business building, okay, so be it. But when it's a school, when it's the children, we had this conversation on the podcast um, about some of the pre-modern events. I, I, if you're hunting children, I've got no use for you. I'm coming for you. It, it, 
obviously in those other places that you're talking about there are, there are vulnerable people but yeah i i do feel that there it, it's even it's even more so i mean we were at least talking about civilians who are armed in these other cases but um yeah with chill and, and going back over researching uh looking back at columbine and things like that um uh going through the details again because it, it had been a while yeah it does it's it, it's chilling it is all right joe i want to thank you for co-hosting today oh thank you again for all the episodes that i've been able to uh be on board with you um although a, a very serious topic i i've enjoyed uh talking with you about it i do appreciate your assistance and support um as i said at the beginning this is our, our sixth and final episode we hope our listenership um, has listened to all of them. And I can't say enjoyed them because of the topic material, but at least found them of value. Uh, and we want to thank FirstNet, as always, for being a sponsor and, and enabling us to bring it to you. Everybody out there working behind a badge, stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.